from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Psych Health and Safety Canada. And today, my special guest is Adam Shomos. Very close. I'm bad with names. Adam knows that. We've known each other for a while, and I still don't get his name right. He can call me anything he likes throughout the whole podcast. Welcome, Adam. It's wonderful to have you, and great to have a chance to chat with you today. It's all good, Kim. It's uh, <laughs> an absolute honor and privilege to uh, spend some time chatting with you today. You have all the grace. Okay, I'm going to bring, what is it, the grit. Yeah, you have the grace. So the project that you have worked on, I'll tell you a little bit about Adam. And then my first question, Adam, is always to have the guest introduce themselves and share a little bit about their journey. So Adam has been working in adult learning and development for 12 years. And all of the work that he does, whether it's working uh, for projects and clients or within uh, government organizations, has all been centered around that and centered around some of his background, which he will share with you and with us uh, that will frame some of the conversation around psychological health and safety. So Adam, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what has informed and brought you to the work that you do now and specifically our conversation around psychological health and safety? Yeah, absolutely. So my my journey into this space, it um, it really kind of began when I graduated from uh, graduate school. So I first completed my honors degree in psychology and then went on and completed a master's of kinesiology and health studies. Uh, sport and performance psychology has always been a huge fascination to myself, um, looking at some of the subtle differences that allow individuals and athletes and high performers to kind of excel and reach that next level versus why do certain individuals kind of fall flat on their face? Um, and so along that way, uh, I have had the opportunity then to move into various government roles, primarily in the uh, adult learning and development kind of area or space and uh, just consulting and and just being a part of the delivery of a number of, of uh, leadership and employee uh, learning and development initiatives that are, are really geared towards their own performance. And so my journey into the psychological health and, and safety and mental health space um, really was impacted by both personal and kind of professional elements. So about six years or so ago, I was with uh, my or my organization um, that I have since moved on from, and we we had a, a workplace incident. And I was part of a team that was responsible for uh, reaching out to an organization to support staff as a result of this incident. And so it was in that moment where I was kind of liaisoning uh, with our facilitators from an organization out of Saskatoon called Bridges Health. Uh, to come in and deliver a workshop uh, to support employees who had experienced this. And it was right at that moment, uh, the day of facilitators came in and I was listening to them talk about how stressed they were in terms of the travel and how much work they had to manage. And and it, it was one of those kind of moments, light bulb moments where my experience in graduate school, having been a sessional instructor and being very comfortable uh, getting up in front of an audience and, and just sharing and talking and storytelling, uh, combined with the fact that on a very personal note, I had been about five years removed from disclosing with my wife and family um, of a very dark secret pertaining to my own addictions, uh, something that changed our lives, uh, continue to change our lives today. And so it was just kind of that that perfect storm, that moment where it was like, this might be a really big opportunity for me. Um, and so I reached out to Bridges Health and within a, a couple of weeks, I was kind of facilitating a mock workshop just to see if I if I had it. And uh, that really kickstarted now being about five, six years into that um, journey 
in the mental health space and psychological health and safety space of working with organizations who are looking to elevate those different ele elements and areas of psychological well-being uh, within the organization. And so um, my 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 day job, we'll call it, uh, in government around adult learning and development is uh, very, very meaningful for me. And I am equally as blessed to be supported to kind of uh, be able to participate in some of my passion pieces around psychological health and safety and mental health. That is, thank you for that. And thank you for sharing um, some of your own personal journey and the connection of this with you. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. I think it's important for all of us to be able to share those kinds of moments. So um, I think our listeners will resonate with listeners as well. I usually ask uh, the guests to share their definition of psychological safety or psychological health and safety. And, you know, you and I and, and many of our listeners know that these are two different concepts and conceptually. Um, how would you define or which one would you like to define and which one is the one that you work with the most? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting in all of the work that I've been a part of. If we were to ask organizations and the majority of participants of, of some of these projects to define the difference between the two, I think we would see how clearly <laughs> they combine uh, both ideas. When I think about psychological safety, especially in the workplace, to me, it's that belief, that conviction that if I choose to raise a concern or ask a question or speak up about something that I you know, don't agree with or am, am uncomfortable with, or even make a mistake, that I do so knowing that I am not going to be ridiculed or humiliated or punished as a result of that. And so when I think about psychological safety at work, for me, it's, it's very internal to the individual. Then when we think about psychological health and safety in the workplace, and we go like entirely to the definition from the National Standard of Canada, that it's a workplace that promotes the well-being, the psychological well-being of the worker, and is very intentional on preventing or mitigating that harm, um, including in those very detrimental and reckless ways. So psychological health and safety in the workplace is very internal to the organization on the flip side. That was a great definition. We should send that to the national standard folks. <laughs> I think it's time to update it a little bit. Uh, that is great. I think you're absolutely right for my experience as well is that, you know, they are confusing because they are similar terms and yet are two separate concepts that one is organizational based risk management and the other is, you know, a, an experience that a person has, as you say, or um, that a leader is trying to create. So that kind of culture around psychological safety. So love that. If you could take us through uh, the project that we're going to talk about and um, share a little bit about that, because you um, were one of the early adopters in Canada, in my view, on actually having a psychological health and safety training intervention um, and a piece of it doing the work with a client group, a, a team that, um, for whatever the reasons that you'll be sharing, uh, want to make some changes. So if you could share a little bit about the project, about the origins of the project, and uh, the good news for all of us as listeners is that we get to learn from the early adopters and uh, because you've, you've, you know, paved the road for us to go. And so I know there probably are lots of lessons learned that will also be helpful today for others. So maybe just a little bit of background about the project and take us down that path. For sure. Yeah. So when I started as a workshop facilitator uh, with, with Bridges Health, uh, like I mentioned about five, six years ago, um, one of the workshops that became very, very popular for organizations across this country was on the 13 factors. So whether it was a 60 to a 90 minute 
high-end, high-level overview as to what these 13 factors are about. What do we know in terms of the literature and the research around why each of them is important? And what do we also know, you know, what do we know happens to an organization who, who operates with a high level of any one of those factors? And what happens to organizations who neglect them? So very high level, um, to kind of put it, you know, in their, in their purview and, and get them to start thinking a little bit like, where do we fall as an organization on the scope of high versus low within these factors? But what became very evident, uh, not very long into launching these workshops is that the education and, and the information is very, very critical, uh, especially in that kind of introductory phase. But what if as a facilitator, as a facilitating organization, what if there was an opportunity to do a little bit more with these organizations in terms of rolling up the sleeves and diving into some of the very difficult and awkward and in a lot of cases emotionally charged conversations around psychological health and safety and so we kind of spitballed and and you know uh, ideas to the wall in terms of what an experience like this would would look like and eventually what we landed on was the idea of focus groups, of live focus groups that bridge in participants across all levels of the organization, employees, middle management, executive leadership, to try to get them into the same room to talk about very difficult conversations. And what's been interesting now that we've we've done a few of these sessions in some cases they were one day in some cases they were a day and a half in other cases they were a full three days and i can tell you that after three days eight hour days of emotionally charged conversations um some of it was very difficult but i also think that that experience of giving those individuals the opportunity to just be vulnerable and share and and connect with individuals and employees at different levels was some of the most meaningful work that I've ever been a part of. And I could sense the meaning for those participants as well. So the focus groups that provide them the opportunity to just share and, and provide that additional information as to what's going well, where are we struggling, um, what's been bothering me, where do we need to go from here? Some of those different items then what we as the facilitators would do is take that back and create a, a, a report for them that with all of this data, and I wish you could just, if you can kind of envision what one of these massive boardrooms or conference rooms with large sticky note paper and all of this horrifically non-legible handwriting to just keep up with the pace of the conversations, so we rolled up all of that information and we create a very comprehensive report. And we kind of put together some of the themes, some of the learning themes and the emerging themes from the conversations. Here's what you said. Here's um, some of the tough conversations. Here's some of the things that we're doing well, because those are important to highlight as well. And then from that report and wrapping everything up, what becomes important is for us to make a series of recommendations. So based on the the topics of conversation based on the factors that became most emerging in terms of this is a problematic area for our organization um we had the opportunity to and again kind of pulling from a lot of the existing literature and research on things like organizational psychology um, on on elements like time management and conflict resolution while also taking in the national standard and all of the mental health commission of Canada and all like kind of resources to, to put together a series of here's what you should consider as, as a takeaway, as a tangible action for you. Um, and so we, like I said, we, we've kind of, we've had an opportunity to run a, a couple of them now. Um, very, very unique from one another, but I think at the end of the day, in terms of the value and the and our purpose as facilitators of this type of experience it's it's really about trying to go beyond just that information and the education to helping them get even if it's just by an inch 
a little bit closer to recognition and to change. What, um, I have a whole bunch of questions about this, so it's very, very exciting. The, um, when you mentioned change, what was the change that you were, or I guess the, the shift from where they were to where you, you know, that change would, what, what's the mark of the change? Like, how would you define that change that you were looking to, to bring them along? And along with the information, you know, like here, here's the information and helping them understand some of that foundational information, but maybe describe the change a little bit. Yeah. You, you know, what's so interesting and I, I really have to kind of pause and, and credit uh, the, the folks in, you know, your colleagues in Australia um, who've, who've been doing this work and leading this work for, uh, a long, long time. I've the knowledge that I've gained from flourished yaks and and you know some of those individuals. Um, when I think about change and and one of the kind of the topics, the constructs that I that I learned from you and from the work that they've done is that idea of wellness washing hmm. and the number of organizations who believe that they today support psychological health and safety and support the mental well-being of their employees by focusing on individual interventions um, is is astounding right so rather than diving into the root cause of our culture defects and instead offering the workshop or offering the mindfulness or the meditation or, you know, presenting these different individual level interventions. For me, the biggest sign of change has been the acknowledgement as to what types of interventions do we need to consider moving forward in order to, to change our culture. And, and one of the biggest changes that that I think I've witnessed in some of these organizations is the understanding of what it means to be deliberate with their actions versus passive with their actions. Mm -hmm. And when I think about organizations and especially leaders within organizations who don't feel equipped around the areas of psychological health and safety and, and mental wellness, um, those conversations are difficult. You know, to have an open door policy with someone who wants to disclose that they're maybe living with a mental illness or living with addiction or wanting to voice their concern or opinion about something that's happened in the workplace that they don't agree with. There are a lot of elements to it that are very uncomfortable and awkward for individuals, for leaders within organizations. But when I think about that distinction between what is passive versus what is deliberate and the idea of like deliberate training deliberate practice mm -hmm. is something that i brought in from that sport and performance psychology world you know if, if you're looking to improve in a certain area of life in sport in business at work at home why should i consider deliberate practice versus regular practice what are the implications and so that element, that teaching opportunity for an organization to understand that the choice is yours to be deliberate with your actions, with how you move forward, with how you take this information that we've rolled up into a report, um, you know, whether or not you choose to, to continue with promoting, you know, self-care on the whiteboard in the lunchroom and check the box off that, yep, we support mental wellness in the workplace and psychological health and safety or whether you're willing to, again, roll up the sleeves and engage in those very often difficult uh, recognitions and, and conversations around what is it that it, we need to consider looking at or, or changing within the culture of our organization? Hmm. I think that is, uh, that is a pretty profound uh, I think statement of, of kind of where we are. And, you know, I think we, wish we were a little further along in understanding and clarity and the differentiation of the two paths 
the mental health and the work that um, you can do to support an individual uh, wherever they are. And what is the what is the organization doing about the organizational conditions? And um, so for the for the workshops and those conversations, what were the you talked about some of the difficulty that people had being in there. Maybe just share a little bit about that. I'm just wondering what their expectations were going in. And then you're in, you know, truly getting into conversations of some of the conditions inside the organization or the experiences people had that would then lead to some of those more, um, those deeper conversations. Um, Maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from an expectation standpoint, um, you had a, a very large range, right? You had some individuals. So, so maybe worth sharing before is so knowing that this experience was going to take place, um, employees within the organization were required to volunteer to participate. So, so a kind of a, a, a overview or a briefing in terms of what the intent or the purpose of these events, these days were going to be. And so the idea was that those who chose to, to volunteer and participate were, were willingly going to participate. But it was interesting because in, in one of the cases, we mixed all of the employee levels. So we had, again, employees, middle managers, and those executive senior leaders within the organization. And for obvious reasons, you know, I very quickly could appreciate that there were some nerves and there was some discomfort knowing that they were going to potentially share some things that those leaders, those middle managers were maybe not wanting to hear uh, or would would kind of throw them off the edge of their seat, so to speak, when when some elements of culture were discussed. So so I think the expectations were were very ranging. But I also think, and this is, I think, again, important because it speaks to the current climate of psychological health and safety within, whether it's Canadian organizations or organizations across the world. In both cases that we ran these these kind of events, a initial culture and engagement survey was administered that spoke to those factors that were considered to be kind of the focal points for our work, which is interesting because the 13 factors are all connected to one another. And so it was very quick that we were bouncing all over the place. But three or four or a series of of kind of the most problematic uh, 13 factors were were chosen as a result of, of this culture and engagement survey. When culture and engagement surveys are used as kind of that needs assessment, the first thing that I will always ask the organization to do is go to the question on that assessment or on that survey that says something to the lines of, I believe my employer is going to act as a result of this survey. And that answer, that number, is often extremely low. Mm -hmm. That even though my organization knows that we're struggling X, Y, Z, or that we're, you know, that there isn't clear leadership and expectations, that the workloads are too much, that that we're just struggling. I don't believe that my organization, my employer is going to do anything about it. Maybe it's because they can't do anything about it. Um, So I think some of the expectations were also aligned with that, that people were committed to engaging in the experience, even though some of them thought, you know, but what is really going to happen as a result of this? Mm. When I think about the, the different experiences for the different individuals, I think for some, it was really about listening and learning. What is our current climate? What is the culture currently within the organization? Because we had some in, participants that were new to the organization within as little as a couple of months. So they learned about things that they had no idea about. What are some of the greater challenges and the barriers and so forth? Whereas for some, I think it was more about sharing and voicing their frustrations and their concerns, but also some of the positives. 
And then for others, I think it was really about tying things together, making those connections between how various elements of psychological health and safety contribute to that culture that exists within the organization. And I think at the end of the day, that connection between PHS and like what's happening with us today, it's the most critical piece to laying out the roadmap that that really speaks deliberately to the so what about this entire experience. Because if the organization has all of that valuable information and they've listened to the stories and the experiences of, of their employees, they've gained insight into the impact and the implications of all these critical areas of psychological health and safety, but they remain passive with their approaches to improve that culture, what's the point? Mm. I think that, um, you know, having worked in many organizations, uh, the that sort of not so much mistrust, but the, you know, there lots of organizational uh, surveys have come in, lots of different initiatives, and then lots of strategies or strategic pieces, and the level of um, the organization to be able to act on those and continue and sustain them, that's if you don't do that, obviously, as you're saying, then you're creating, you know, some of those, you know, the expectations you might go into it feeling very positive, but you have that underlying uh, piece, which is, will this really change anything? Doubt. Um, did you have those conversations in the, was that brought up as one of the themes inside the, uh, your conversations and the learning? For sure. So it, it was definitely one of the emerging themes and one of our, our intentional uh, areas of conversation. So we really wanted to limit the amount of like preloaded, defined questions around these different factors that we that we brought in. And certainly, you know, one of the things that we learned very quickly is keeping folks on track <laughs> when when you open a can of any given topic and it mm -hmm. kind of segues very organically and, and naturally into er other areas. That's a beautiful thing, uh, but it, it, it's also very easy to kind of <laughs> allow people to get off track pretty quickly. But one of the things that we talked about was was around that trust and and level and layers of doubt that kind of was a, a pre-existing uh, detriment that really nudged people to think that, yeah, even this experience, this two day, this three day, this day experience has been really, really powerful, but I'm not sure that the key decision makers, uh, that the policy holders, that the, you know, governance individuals, that anything is, is really going to, to, to result from it. Um, and some of that I don't think is all geared towards because they don't care. But because it's just at an organizational level, you know, we've been trying to do this for the last five years and, and we run up against, you know, whatever the barriers or challenges might be. But I think underlying there is always that belief. And, and you know, we've done this project a couple of times. I've been a part of many more related and smaller kind of conversations and, and sessions and workshops that's been one of the underlying and constant themes is that um, even if we know, if we're powered with this information, this knowledge, this understanding, doing something about it deliberately is is a very, very different beast than just kind of obtaining that information and that knowledge. For the managers in the room, um, were there some moments, you know, did you see them be surprised at some of the way that the days unfolded or some of the conversations occurred? You know what? It, what was really amazing for me um, was how inclusive and how vulnerable management within these couple of experiences that I was a part of um, because again, I know that there was a little bit of discomfort kind of going into some of these conversations. Certainly there were some instances where examples, real workplace examples around certain factors were shared. 
that were very surprising to the managers and the managers very openly asked for, you know, share more information. Um, and I think for some of the employees, especially at the employee and even the middle manager level that were being asked to share more, to disclose more, there was something very positive about that experience. In some cases, perhaps because the employees on a day-to-day -day basis don't feel like they're voices are, are truly being heard or that they're involved in some of the decision-making or some of those important conversations. But today they were. And, and I have to give credit to management and to those executive leaders for really creating that, you know, that circle of trust that despite some of the angers and the, the fears and the tears that were had within these conversations, Creating that that trust and that openness to share and disclose uh, was one of my biggest takeaways in terms of being impressed at that leadership level. Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety Podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Did you do any preparation for the leaders going in or just sort of some of the, from your experiences, what can unfold in some of these conversations when you're talking about psychological health and safety? Did you have any, it's like, you know, I guess preparation for them or um, helping them with their own expectations? Yeah. So with our leaders in, in, so in one case, we decided, you know what, let's not, let's not, um, let's not treat leaders as any different than an employee or, you know, maybe a, a junior manager or a supervisor or something, because there's so many different layers of leadership, um, especially within certain kind of sectors and areas of, of organizations. So in one case, we just decided to combine everyone and, and kind of treat everyone the same. Uh, in another instance, what we did was we determined the need to maybe hold a given session, like a given day session purely with managers. And so what was a little bit changed or different from some of the more common sessions that we hold was the insertion of some very specific leadership conversations around mental health and psychological health and safety. So for example, um, conversations around, you know, the way that that leaders manage themselves managers who take on high levels of stress pressures workloads even if they put those pressures on themselves they need to be careful because for the teams and and our employees within our teams their teams you know they they observe those behaviors they they see the way that they manage those workloads or the way that they maybe struggle it sets boundaries and it communicates to the people around them you know, if this is what my leader is doing, this is what I need to do. This is required or expected. And so we create a culture of burnout sometimes, starting with that leadership level. We talked about leaders in terms of influencing mental health within the workplace, in terms of giving them a reason to care, feeling a connection to the purpose or that bigger picture within the organization. Because when people see that connection and see how their work directly contributes, it makes them feel better. Um, I think it's one of the, the concepts within the 13 factors, those organizational citizenship behaviors, right? Those behaviors of personal choice that I know are going to directly benefit the organization, even if it means putting in extra time 
or extra hours or whatever the case might be. When people have a reason to care, they feel better about their role in the organization and they feel much better about coming to work every day. And we talked about things like supportive leadership, right? What does it mean to be supportive and, and, and supporting within our means in the form of being accessible and responsive and being available and being vulnerable, open door policies. So we had, you know, with the leader groups, I think we had a few other topics that, that gave them the opportunity to discuss you know, how are we doing as leaders from some of these areas? Because in some cases, there's things that they do tremendously. And in other cases, there are things that have been neglected from that leadership level that directly potentially impact employee well-being. What were some of the conditions that you say that in some cases you went into the employee, you know, training and there was the mix of leaders and uh, employees, but others is just take them out separately. For your thinking about those two different approaches, what were some of the considerations that said, okay, we definitely for this particular project, we need to create a separate environment to have a specific set of conversations yeah. just for the leadership or versus the other model? Like what, what was sort of the precursor to that, that, that helped you get there? Honestly, the state of the culture. Okay. So, so meaning we were advised by that given organization after we had a chance to do our initial consultations and meets and uh, review some of the, the details from that culture and engagement. It was very heavily suggested to not put individuals of different, uh, you know, working groups into the same conversations. And and as unfortunate as that is, I think, because it does speak to uh, the, you know, the, the current state of organizational culture and the current state of psychological health and, and safety and well-being within the workplace. Um, so so that kind of navigation was was almost kind of predetermined just by the current state of the organization and culture. Could you share what? you had said that it sort of came down to there were for one of those experiences really clear that there were a certain set of psychosocial factors that maybe were at more at play than the rest of the 13. Did you see in all of the projects that you worked on, were there certain factors that were always recurring? or that um, that um, people struggled with or didn't understand, or maybe that maybe they're recurring, or maybe it just seemed to be take longer conversations inside the learning room. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it, I, I'm always just so amazed at how interconnected the factors are, right? Like you can focus on any one of them and then quickly as those conversations and, and as things start to get uncovered, you see how, you know, well, actually there are four or five really impacted in this one scenario. But I think in all of the work that I've done, one of the largest ones that comes out on top in terms of the organization either recognizing that they're struggling or through some sort of an event or exercise or activity, do they realize they're struggling? Um, is organizational culture because going back to the root of how that is defined as a workplace characterized by trust and honesty and fairness. You know, I, I think arguably the backbone of the 13 factors that when we don't have good culture, when we don't have trust, all of the other factors are directly influenced and, and it becomes very difficult to, um, to really carry any of them at a high level without that high organizational culture. So, so for sure, that one really stands out as, as always being prominent. Um, clear leadership and expectations. You know, I think um, for sure the way that leaders conduct themselves and, and support their employees uh, in terms of communicating expectations and how their work contributes to that organization's mission and vision and all of those good things uh, has always been one that that has been large conversation. Uh, and then, of course, you know, work work balance, 
uh, work balance and uh, workloads, workload management. Uh, we've never been so busy in our organizations, right? And when we even go back to what a lot of folks endured during the pandemic, and you know, we've emerged from that right now, but we're still seeing a lot of hybrid models. Um, and you know, COVID was was some of the first times where individuals who are now working from home, but also had their kids at home. Uh, you know, they were they were not only full time employees, but they were also full time caregivers and in some cases part time educators. And they had to take care of things that were going on around the house all at once. It was the first time that all of these different hats needed to really be worn in this way simultaneously. So so we've never been so busy with work. And I think workload management in terms of having the adequate resources and time, um, training, learning and development opportunities to do our job successfully, again, has always been one that's that's come out on top in terms of, you know, we need to work on this. Hmm. Has it been, did it emerge from the mouths of leaders or did it emerge from, have you seen or more from the employees? I'm just curious in that context. I mean, I would say a 67, 33%, because I'm very, very specific with my guesstimate numbers. When we, when we talk about like, who is saying that the culture here sucks, 67% of employees, right. Versus kind of a third leaders that if you pulled purely the leaders, they're, admission and belief that the, the culture is better than it truly is that that's a trend that we see emerge 100 percent um but i think that aligns with research like generally i think that yeah um, you know and i guess from a just from a purely that makes sense <laughs> that makes sense the lived experience of a leader or manager who have more information more certainty more decision-making, more authority, more power, you know, which does reduce, uh, you know, certainty and uncertainty does reduce, you know, stress and stressors. So that, that makes, uh, that makes perfect sense for your experience as you're inside training. Yeah. And and then, you know, I I would say that with respect to some of the other factors, um, probably a little bit more balanced in terms of, of the admission that, you know, what we're not, we're not doing enough here. Um, we're not creating enough opportunities for growth and development. Um, the admission that, you know what, maybe we aren't involving all of the right people as part of this decision-making or, or these important conversations. Maybe we need to consider having representation across, you know, all units of the organization. Or like, I, I think the, the culture piece is one where we see a significant gap compared to the others where it's a little bit more balanced. Hmm. When you go, um, what do you do to prepare for um, that learning environment? I scribble on a blackboard for six hours straight the night before to get my hand ready. Um, No, you know, I, I think, I think preparation is important. But bringing in one of the most important concepts in mental health, as I've facilitated workshops, the idea of how critical it is to listen with the intent to understand as opposed to listen with the intent to respond. And so linking that into this experience, I kind of look at it like if I go in with all of these pre-programmed uh, loaded and leading questions around things that I think are important to uncover. I need to be very, you know, vulnerable to the to the fact that I know nothing about this organization. My purpose is to learn about what it is that they're experiencing. I can provide some of the foundational knowledge around what what I know and what we know from the literature and the research around these factors and best practices. But I think from a preparation standpoint, it's it's really um, just preparing to facilitate and help navigate the conversation so everyone has a chance to to share 
and be heard and and that we're getting everything we we can kind of documented for that wrap up that is a great lesson for all of us that planning and preparedness but that flexibility yeah that um it's you know the notion that respects that it's their experience and their conversation too adam that's that's a wonderful that's a psychologically safe learning environment you know that they can they have agency in that that's the uh you know that's probably one of the fundamentals of psychological safety to have that kind of ability to shape whatever's going to happen inside the learning you know beyond some of those fundamentals so that there's a shared language shared understanding and can be the jumping off point for some of those conversations. Maybe share a little bit about what are some of the lessons. So looking back now, and now as we've continued to, we have now have an international standard. We have the Canadian standard. We have um, Australia, as we know, been doing amazing things going forward, has legislation, regulations, and compliance. Um, yes, I'm envious. And um, and then we have in the UK, we have the HSE um, management standards. So, you know, and academics and behavioral scientists continue to build a body of knowledge that supports all this evidence-based, um, you know, standards. What have you learned that you would apply, always in reflection, looking back that you now know? either from the experience itself or as we've evolved and grown in psychological health and safety in the workplace. Yeah. You know, just like even listening to you, to you share kind of like where we've headed the trajectory we've been on in terms of advancing, isn't it, isn't it just so inspiring when we think about like where we were even 10 years ago? Um, Absolutely. It's uh, just seeing some of the work you know, being done is, is really incredible. But when I think, you know, lesson learned in the form of, of kind of tying back or going back to that whole, so what piece to this type of work, when I look at, again, some of the work happening in Australia and, and possibly I think even in the UK, but even more recently with WorkSafe BC, um, in the form of, psychological health and safety planned inspections. You know, I think I think now we're talking about a key to accountability and change, right? I know we've talked about this in the past in terms of the experiences that I've been a part of and, and where it was maybe lacking was that, that follow-up piece, that evaluation framework piece where three months, six months, nine months, two years from now, we have that ability to to check in objectively with the organization to see, you know, what have you what have you done with this information? How have you changed? What does that look like? Um, so I think that that need for an evaluation framework that allows us to assess how those deliberate interventions are working, or whether they're working, and how do we know? Um, you know, I think the reality is is that one of our current gaps that exists within so many organizations is that even if we do well to educate and develop these initiatives around whether it's elevating or improving these risk factors, we don't have the capacity or the resourcing to effectively measure or evaluate to the the extent to which they're actually working. And I'm not sure that the answer is a pre and a post evaluation you know, pre before this type of an initiative takes place and then a post six months, nine months, 12 months, um, where only the responses to a survey are used to make that determination. I think that it's far more complicated and I think that it it just requires more uh, across the board. So when I when I think about like a lesson learned in terms of where do we need to go from here? What do we need to insert into this experience? To me, that idea of the inspection, of that accountability piece, is so incredibly vital. Yeah, we've had some bright spots. We can take we can take some Canadian bright spots. Um, still, lots of work to do, but uh, you know, the changes in Ontario as well. So Ontario's had some positive changes about you know uh, sustaining mental health and and some uh, areas about you know they've made some changes. But we're still very, 
far from a regulatory environment uh, around that. But I think that I absolutely, I second that. I think it's having more nuanced assessment on where we, uh, where we need to go and where we need to continue <clears throat> to change. And it's part of the struggle. It's part of the struggle for organizations to be able to deal with things that are so complex and always changing. You know, they even doing the piece of the learning, you know, it's not once and done. It's, uh, you know, and that kind of commitment is a difficult thing for organizations that have all of these other commitments and all these other demands on them and leaders as well. I think that sometimes leaders or managers, they're the, you know, they are trying to lead, but they also have other, their own, uh, you know, their own leaders that they report to. So they're kind of in the middle there trying to navigate that. Um, do you have any advice for organizations that are where to start, you know, where they could start um, implementing something or looking at their own organization and, and their own level of maturity to how they're thinking about mental health and well-being and how the organization has the opportunity to influence it more intentionally? Yeah, I mean... I think where it starts or, or a good starting point really revolves around that whole individual intervention piece, an assessment as to whether their efforts to date have been more driven and geared towards the individual, as opposed to diving into the root cause as to why our culture is struggling right now and understanding, you know, the difference between passivity versus deliberate being deliberate with our actions. Um, you know, it's, it's very, that construct and that idea is very complex and it, it, you know, very simplistically we can define deliberate as, as being, you know, focusing only on the things that we suck at in terms of our own development and looking to improve ourselves only by focusing on things that we struggle with. But the reality is, is that there are many different layers within it and, and many different considerations, I think, especially applied to the workplace. So this idea of wellness washing, uh, which I just, I, is so fascinating to me because when we go back and we reassess organizations that we've been a part of or that we've worked with and how frequent that individual intervention level is, is determined as the solution. Um, I can't, I can't remember what the resource was that, that I, I read it off of or that I heard it off of. But, you know, you can imagine if you're somebody who is in a very destructive work environment and you're being, you know, fed an amount of work that is just not manageable and you're constrained with high levels of stress and you're given no opportunities for growth and development and all of these areas that create negativity within the workplace and the response to that by your organization your employer is to go and take this resilience training right we can understand how debilitating that can be to that individual in that moment especially then when you consider that for the most part organizations will tend to offer these learning and development or these workshops during lunch hours or after hours or right so so i think my advice to any organization is to to really do that initial assessment that will speak to whether or not we are addressing what needs to be addressed around psychological health and safety or whether we're looking to just apply that quick band-aid mm. that is the challenge to move along our understanding and um, from the individual to the organization. And um, the question I have that I've been using a lot lately, which is uh, for organizations is that, um, which speaks to that shift, which is, is your organization built for human thriving? And that shifts it for, it's the organization that is built, not the person. Uh, and, that's the, I think the next challenge too, and the evolution of working with the factors and working with the ISO standard 
and having those conversations. Um, it was really heartening to hear that the leaders were involved in that work, Adam, because that's, that's so critical to that conversation, you know, um, and, you know, without them there that, you know, it's, that you just not, you're not going to get the distance at all. You're not going to get anywhere without having them in some way involved in the conversation and as partners in the learning and open to the learning themselves, because that's critical as well. Um, and knowing all the time constraints, but still this is, you know, is this a priority and then setting that priority and doing those things, as you say, deliberately in an intentional way. Yeah. Um, any further advice that you would like to offer? to the listeners about starting to think about the standard and how they can start to consider their own workplace? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's just that recognition and acknowledgement that these are some of the most difficult conversations that, you know, whether it's us as individuals at, at the employee level of any organization, as leaders within the organization, you know, in or, or as the organization itself, these are, are not easy conversations to have. Um, but if we don't have them, we are never going to advance. We're never going to fix that, which creates, um, you know, all of the organizational struggles at all levels. Um, and, and so I think, you know, not just leaders, but employees who are willing uh, to demonstrate vulnerability with respect to these conversations and share your stories. It's the most beautiful thing and, and something that I've learned as a mental health workshop facilitator over the years and, and having the opportunity to share my story, my own personal story. Everyone has a story. Everyone's story is so incredibly unique and we might perceive that someone's story is more extraordinary uh, than another person's. But at the end of the day, we all have stories that bind and connect every single one of us together. And if we can create platforms and environments within our organizations that allow people to, to share those commonalities and, and to trust one another um, in those spaces, that in itself builds on one of the 13 factors, organizational culture. And if that is the backbone of the 13 factors, it's at least the starting point that we need to tackle some of these other challenging uh, areas. Great. Thanks for that. So thank you so much, Adam, for your sharing the experience and this as a case study, a case study in an educational intervention. For those listeners who would like to reach out to you, how could they get in touch with you if they were to do that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think um, go and check out Bridges Health www.bridgeshealth.com, uh, one of Canada's most prominent multidisciplinary workplace wellness resources. Uh, they work with organizations all across North America uh, who are looking for a number of wellness strategies, solutions to help their employees and cultures within the organization. And so they offer a number of services around injury prevention, return to stay at work programming, HR support, workplace injury management, uh, vocational services, uh, workers' compensation, a, a whole variety of, of services. And of course, the psychological health and safety piece, which is what I've been so blessed uh, to have the opportunity to, uh, to be a part of. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we, along with Bridges, I think, share the common goal of, of just empowering individuals and organizations to function as happy and healthy as possible. Uh, and so I certainly invite uh, anyone who's interested in learning more about the organization to go visit the website. Uh, any questions or, or anything on that front, you can always reach out to myself directly, research.shamos, that's C-H-O-M-O-S, at gmail.com. That's great. And thank you to our listeners uh, today for tuning in and listening from wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can reach out to me at 13factors.ca or on LinkedIn. I am there a lot, listening, talking, sharing, all of those kinds of things. Always want your ideas and thoughts for topics around psychological health and safety and guests as well. So please, uh, please do that. And if you're um, on the podcast site, check out the other episodes and uh, continue to learn and help us share all of the messages and the ones that uh, Adam contributed to today. 
So thanks a lot. And until next time. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.